This is Ian Perry. Welcome to Keeping Green. We broadcast at the University of Calgary on CJSW, on Treaty 7 land and Métis Region 3. On this episode of Keeping Green, Emily speaks with Miranda of Plastic Free YYC to find out where we stand on going plastic free. Several businesses have already taken steps to move away from single-use plastics, which is fantastic. And later on, I speak with Alexa Bozell about human-coyote interactions in Alberta. The government will pay you for killing a coyote or a wolf. Stick around. Hi everybody, welcome to Keeping Green. My name is Emily and I am a current member of the University of Calgary's Eco Club. This month's episode will be a continuation regarding plastic. Now, plastic has been a consecutive topic of discussion for some time now. Lately, its popularity has been identified with the harmful impacts it can have on our environment and many individuals have taken it upon themselves to spread knowledge, awareness and facts on plastic from how it's made, how we use it, how long it's in our possession, and how we dispose of it. In Canada, we recycle about 9% of the 3.2 millions of plastic waste, leaving the remaining 28 million to go to landfills. It is crucial to continue to spread awareness on proper disposal, but more importantly, to guide our citizens to reduce their plastic consumption overall and encourage production companies to have a stronger notion of producer responsibility. In Calgary, we are very lucky to have a local movement called Plastic Free YYC, and to tell us a little bit more about it is Miranda. Thank you, Miranda, for coming here to speak with us today. And can you briefly describe your background and what got you interested in this line of work? My name is Miranda Pittman. I'm currently a student at the University of Calgary in the Urban Studies program. And my title with Plastic Free YYC is Operations Manager. Uh, the reason I became interested in the Plastic Free YYC in the first place was mostly relating to my future career goal of becoming a city planner. I really want to focus on sustainability and community building when I become a city planner. That's great. That's an amazing goal. Uh, so what is exactly Plastic Free YYC and what would you say are your organization's main objectives? We are Calgary's leading voice in zero waste and plastic free living. Uh, we have a three-tiered approach of engagement. So inspiring individuals, collaborating with business, and working with municipal leaders is how change will happen. We have a fully run volunteer team who is passionate about raising awareness of the overall impact of plastic on our community and our planet. Uh, in particular, we are really targeting single-use plastics, those items that are used for mere minutes before being discarded and ending up in the landfill or worse, in our environment. Pushing towards the reduction of single-use plastics is a huge initiative. So how do you guys support an organization that wants to get out of using plastic products? We do offer one-on-one -on -one consulting services and have broader initiatives that organizations can participate into, such as our uh, Ban the Big and the Last Straw campaign. And uh, we are also going to be soon launching a certification program that recognizes organizations and events that are going above and beyond to reduce waste in the city. Yeah, those kind of initiatives are always better to motivate people in order to reduce their plastic, also get more knowledge. Exactly. Are there any economic incentives pushing an organization to switch out of plastic products and into something green? Or is the decision always an ethical one? 
It's uh, kind of one of those scenarios of disrupt or be disrupted. So we know that it's coming. So why not act early and reap on the benefits of being a first mover, which provides a lot of customers with bragging rights down the line. But there's also some positive uh, net value present in a lot of these adjustments. For example, I've been to a brunch place where they give coffee to people waiting in line. Uh, maybe if they thrifted some mugs and reused them, they would save a lot of money than buying disposable cups. And they would also reduce a lot of their waste, which can cause a higher cost as well for waste disposal. Mm-hmm. In Calgary, are there any efforts in the works to ban single-use plastics? Uh, The city of Calgary wanted to explore developing a strategy to reduce waste from single-use items. Uh, Single-use items are convenience items, typically used once before being discarded as waste, and they are some of the most commonly found materials in waste receptacles in Calgary public spaces. So the city is considering which single-use items and policy options should be targeted in the strategy. They did uh, gather some engagement online from October 29th to November 13th, Uh, from citizens where they gathered some feedback uh, about what people think of the issue and they also did got some uh, feedback from students at the 2019 mayor's environmental expo where over 650 students uh, gave feedback about uh, the reduction developing the reduction strategy and basically the overall sentiment of the feedback was to make changes that either reduce or eliminate the use of single use items So uh, from here, they're continuing to analyze the information they receive from the engagements. And meanwhile, several businesses have already taken steps to move away from single-use plastics, which is fantastic. And we will continue to work with more to bring more businesses on board and think about waste prevention. That's good. That kind of leads more into the next question that I'll ask. But um, it's awesome to hear that there's more movement towards it. It And at least the city is aware of the issue and they are creating a strategy to hopefully tackle it. Right. In developing countries like Chile, they have completely banned the use of retail plastic bags, which evidently makes citizens less dependent on the plastic while still raising awareness on the issues of pollution. Now, do you think Calgary or Alberta will eventually put more emphasis on eliminating plastic? Or do you think this is an initiative that has to come from our Prime Minister Trudeau? to ban the use of single-use plastics federally in 2021? Uh, Unfortunately, we do not think single-use plastics will be banned in Alberta or Calgary before the federal plan is implemented. Mm -hmm. The banning of single-use plastic does not seem to be a priority of the UCP government. I actually read an article about when Kenny was speaking at the 20th Annual Global Business Forum in Banff. And uh, during that forum, they spoke about how Many other provinces, such as Prince Edward Island and Newfoundland and Labrador, have already introduced some legislation banning the use of plastic bags, for example. Uh, but when Kenny was asked about what Alberta might do, he said a move, such a move would actually be contrary to Alberta's interests. The province is currently seeking ways to attract investment into the petrochemical industry. Uh, So some of the analysts have even suggested that Alberta would be a good place to build a world-scale ethanine cranker, which would convert ethanine into ethanol for the use of plastic manufacturing. So, in quotes, My focus isn't arguing over plastic bags, but creating good quality jobs for Albertans. 
So he mostly is focusing on jobs and not, uh, doesn't seem like the plastic issue is really top priority for the UCP government, sadly. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it seems to be very money related Mm -hmm. for him, at least. Is there progress being made to reduce or eliminate plastics in our clothing or other forms of microplastics? Uh, Well, in general, we can see that the fast fashion movement is slowly coming to an end. Uh, I can't remember exactly where I read it, but there is a large boost in the amount of consignment stores throughout the city. And in general, people are turning towards consigning their clothes and buying uh, clothes that has already been used. Uh, Even, for example, in California, Patagonia just opened their first used-only store, which is interesting. And another thing that the city does, actually, is you can bring your fabric or used clothing to the dump for free. And then they take that fabric and they either uh, reuse it and make it into things like furniture or they properly dispose of it. So that's pretty interesting. Yeah, that's amazing. I had no idea that was happening around the city. I did notice, however, a lot of consignment stores. The more I speak about uh, thrift shopping and uh, reusing or recycling your clothing, the more I hear about different stores opening around the city that are willing to buy your clothes even and um, they sell it for cheaper, which is always Yeah, exactly. And even just I've been noticing a rise in uh, people like around our age, like in, in their 20s, people are really interested now in going to thrift stores or over going to the mall, which is really cool to see. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Plastics are popular because they are readily readily available. They are relatively cheap to produce and they are very versatile. Uh, is there a product on the market which is comparable to plastic in these ways? Well, as you mentioned, plastic is a wonderful product for all of those reasons, and nothing really does come close to it. It has led to amazing advancements, for example, in the health and transportation sectors. It is important to remember, though, that not all plastics are created equal. So specifically, as I've mentioned, the single-use plastics, the items that are used for mere minutes before being discarded and ending up in the landfill or in the environment. So those are the ones that we really want to focus on reducing Uh, That being said, I did do a little bit of research, and it does show that scientists, engineers, and designers are shifting their focus to ecologically friendly alternatives that create circular, low-waste ecosystems. Some examples are uh, liquid wood, algae insulation, and polymer substitutes made from fermented plant starch, such as corn or potatoes, for example. Hmm. Is that something that came about recently, or have we been... Have they kind of been working on that for quite some time? Yeah, it seems like in the past few years, especially, they're putting more effort into doing researches for substitutions for plastic. But like I mentioned, at the end of the day, there are certain things that plastic is unbeatable for using. It's just more we want to focus on using that plastic for things that are are really long term and not using them just for everything like we've kind of become accustomed to. Yeah, we're, our dependency has definitely increased, in, exactly. in especially single-use plastics, which are very uh, sometimes not necessary for us to use. Totally. What are some of the best approaches to spreading awareness about the plastic crisis? What's the best way to find out more about the movement and getting involved? Well, of course, it seems pretty uh, basic, but I would say start with making changes, changes in your own life and encouraging others around you to follow suit. So just... Of course, all you hear, like, use a reusable water bottle, you take reusable bags, but making a conscious effort to really 
make sure you do that. And if you don't have your mug because you forgot it at home, let's say, like then maybe just don't get coffee that day. Try your best to stick to using uh, products that are not single-use items. And uh, becoming more engaged in your community is something personally for me that really helped me learn more about the movement in general. And that is how I found out about Plastic Free YYC. So just looking for volunteer opportunities, uh, going out there and talking to people. The more people you talk to, the more people you meet, the more you can learn from their experiences. And a lot of people are informed actually of the Plastic Free movement and are on board with creating new ideas. And then also you can attend our zero waste meetups. There are free meetups that we hold each month, normally on the first Wednesday of the month. Those meetups are awesome. You can meet a lot of people who are interested in the same uh, topics you might want to learn more about and just casually get together with people. Uh, There's also some other organizations in Calgary that I have uh, participated into such as CEP Calgary, which is all about connecting environmental professionals And they hold a monthly speaker series on events, which provide people some opportunities to learn about some various environmental issues. And I've been to a few of the speaking series, and it's really interesting to hear perspectives of professionals who are already in the field, especially if that's something you're interested in working in the environmental sector one day. And then also just uh, getting uh, involved by volunteering is huge. So we are currently calling for volunteers for our 2020 Zero Waste Festival this summer. Um, You can email your resume and interest to info at plasticfreeyyc.com. We are looking for people to join the team in planning and executing our Uh, zero waste festival that's amazing i think it's great that there are so many different things around the city you can definitely find out more uh, the more research you do but it's important to know that you're not alone right a lot of people feel maybe have that fear that uh, the knowledge is out there but they can't really do anything about it so the more that you come in within the community the more you learn about other people also pursuing the same interest there's also a lot of really fun events that are going on the more people you meet the more things yeah, you can do around exactly. the city and yeah you just maintain yourself active the, the more you share with people the more motivated you'll get so it's great um, what are you hoping to accomplish in this new year Okay, well, we have a few different projects that we're uh, going to be focusing on this year that our one of our team members, uh, Tresha, is working on is called Reconstruct. And it started uh, about 12 years ago in 2007, the city of Calgary announced that they aimed to divert uh, 80% of C&D waste from landfills by 2020. And the last citywide audit, waste audit, was in 2014, and it showed that our city only managed to divert 20 to 30 percent. Since then, the city of Calgary rolled back their target from 80 percent to 40 percent. So our objective this year is to get city council to return to their original target and approve a bylaw that will require all C&D projects in the city to have 80 percent diversion by 2025. And when we do so hopefully when, not if, um, Calgary will be the second major city in Canada to have a CND diversion bylaw after Vancouver. And with the 80% target, 
we will be even more uh, ambitious because Vancouver has a 70% target currently. And then we also have our Zero Waste Festival, which I mentioned earlier, coming up uh, at the tentative date of July 18th. So that is a festival that gives attendees a chance to learn about sustainable living from expert speakers, uh, connect with innovative waste-free businesses, and to be a part of the growing community striving to reduce waste. Uh, We have live music and That was where I discovered Plastic Free YYC, and it was just a great, it was a cold day, cold and rainy, but people were, you could feel the energy there. Everybody was on the movement, and it was really nice just going around to the booths. That's how I found out about CEP, for example, and I I found out about more organizations that are involved, and uh, it's an amazing event. So definitely attend. And then we're going to do a certification program this year as well, which I mentioned before. With this program, we're going to be focusing on growing the voice of the movement, and it will recognize organizations and events that are going above and beyond to reduce waste in our city. So basically working with uh, organizations and events, consulting with them, let's say someone's hosting an event and it's we want to certify it uh, as plastic-free and low-waste. So just going working hand-in-hand with an uh, organization to create events that are low-waste and we want to further develop that project this year by making a more of a solid application process and requirements and whatnot. Awesome. That's amazing. Um, when you do work with organizations, um, is the process mostly with those businesses themselves or do you have to go through a municipal kind of alleyway to get organizations to approve their changes? Yeah, um, I, I personally haven't worked with an uh, organization like one-on-one but I was sort of talking with Brianna and Isabel and they didn't mention anything about the going through municipal leaders so for example we did do the event with the Marta Loop Justice Film Festival and they wanted to certify their event to be low waste and plastic free so we just worked with them one-on-one to create a low waste event so yeah gotcha well thank you so much for speaking with me today And uh, this is an awesome organization. I'm really glad to have all the questions answered by you. Thank you for having me. I'm glad I had a chance to tell people more about Plastic Free YYC. Our next guest is a grad student in the geography department here at the University of Calgary. And she is studying the very complex relationship between humans and canines, particularly coyotes, smaller than a wolf and highly adaptable, thus making it a common figure in our human altered landscapes. Here to discuss those details and more is Alexa Bozell. Thank you for coming in on uh, fairly short notice. Thanks for having me. So you are from California, and you are a master's student with, is it Dr. Alexander? Exactly, yeah, in the Canid Conservation Lab. And Canid Conservation is, it's a big issue, I think, in the United States and in Canada, both in wolves and in coyotes, but you are focusing your master's on coyotes predominantly? Yeah, primarily, but I'm borrowing a lot of research from wolves because there's a lot more to work with there, especially in Northern Europe and Sweden and Norway in particular. Right. And you are focusing as well on Southern Alberta. Yeah. Yeah. The foothills region. Mm -hmm. Let's just jump right into it. What, um, 
what are some of the biggest issues with coyotes in this landscape? There's a lot. It's really multifaceted. So within the Foothills Parkland region, it's actually one of the fastest developing regions in Canada, which I had no idea. Um, and when we say developing, that, that means a few different things. So, I mean, there's the first thing you think of, which is just basically urban sprawl, right? People are, the population is expanding. People are building more homes, more condos. Um, but what it also means is that more land is being converted um, for livestock as well. So with beef production, um, with a greater demand, you know, we're, we're converting more forest land um, and grasslands. And then the third is oil and gas. Um, so oil and gas tends to really just fragment hab habitat. And, and that does a, a few things for wildlife is, one, it really decreases the population of the elk and caribou. Actually, the caribou is the main one that is really we're seeing on decline. Um, so that's concerning for a lot of people and a lot of groups, like across a lot of demographics. People don't like the idea of the caribou being on the decline. Um, and one of the loudest groups about that is hunters, actually. Hmm. They really like having their caribou around. Um, so I, I bring this all up because what it creates is this narrative of the caribou are on the decline and we need someone to blame, right? <laughs> so next step is who to, who to blame. Um, and here in Alberta, uh, nobody wants to talk about oil and gas, so we're not going to point the finger there. So who else can we look to, um, which is the wolf or, and then to, I mean, down the trophic cascade, we'll look at coyotes as well. Um, but it, it's created a or reinforced a historical na narrative around wolves being kind of the enemy. We talk about culls. Um, is that the way they're described? You talked about bounties a little bit. Um, mm. Can you describe some of those that are, are quite recent in, in Canada? Yeah, so bounties actually have a long tradition going back to Western Europe even. Um, so when um, settlers, white settlers, European settlers came over to Alberta, they brought with them this tradition of bounties, essentially. Um, so the government will pay you for killing a coyote or a wolf. And it depends. It's usually kind of a locally managed issue. So it depends on which, which municipality you're in. Um, but it's been happening for a long time. Um, and then around in the 1950s, it became an outlawed practice. Um, because they said, look, we're actually getting a lot of non-target animals in here. People are bringing like fake wolf. And they were even bringing in like dog ears or a dog paw or um, so we're getting a lot of non-target animals. It's actually not reducing predator populations because coyotes in particular breed in a compensatory manner. Um, so if there's fewer of them, on a, of them on a landscape, they'll actually have larger litter sizes. More of them will go and it will start breeding. Um, yeah, so they, they said, anyways, this isn't working. Let's stop doing this. Um, and it's actually come back into practice in the 2000s, especially, I'd say, with some of that science, again, that's pointing to declining caribou populations mm -hmm. being the fault of predators. Right. And I mean, a lot of people in different departments on this campus are, are now looking at seismic lines. And I guess it's there's some irony in the, in the sense that, you know, we are creating the predator-prey relationship or, or we are enhancing the, the predation on these kinds of animals, the ungulates, by having such a an incredible coverage of seismic lines and these linear features that 
make the, the predation process easier. I know that some people in this, uh, in this department are talking about uh, reclaiming seismic lines on quite a scale. Yeah, I mean, it especially seems um, ironic when you can actually look at how much money those scientists from U of A, can I say that? Sure, you can say anything. <laughs> um, are getting paid to actually do aerial hunting and strychnine poisoning and all mm. these things that have been outlawed for a long time because it's like they're so inhumane. Mm and snares. So um, Gilbert Pru, who is the editor of Canadian Wildlife Biology and Management Journal, has done a few papers where, and oh God, has shown some really upsetting images. He set up camera traps. Um, of He found some snares basically when he was doing some uh, tracking and decided to set up camera traps to see what would happen if when an animal got caught in them. And um, I forget if it was one or two wolves got caught in these neck snares. And it took over 24 hours to kill the wolves. And mm. basically they die of like strangulation and exhaustion. Mm. And then strychnine slowly paralyzes wolves like over an hour to the point where they just can't breathe, right? Mm. But then it also hits a ton of other animals because if you just hide strychnine in a dead carcass, it's not like wolves are the only ones that are going to eat that animal, right? So you're hitting – so coyotes, which – I don't think they really care about that. But wolverines, like other potentially really endangered animals, um, there's a whole list of them in a paper. But anyways, yeah, it's horrific, and they're getting paid millions of dollars to do it. So what is exactly the um, the target question of your research, and what have you learned so far? Um, well, it's kind of probably multi-part, but the, the target questions of my research are what are the main social structures that are on? like underlying ongoing intentional wildlife violence. Um, as I've mentioned, there's some colonial narratives. There's definitely some um, constructs around masculinity, actually, where hunting large predators is seen as this really masculine activity to do. Um, and then there's definitely some capitalist ones, right? Like, so if you're getting paid to kill predators. So it's it's kind of deconstructing those. It's talking to landowners um, to understand, and, and really in this case, listening, because I already have the interviews, um, but listening to landowners to understand what are their values and attitudes and behaviors. Are there those that are more prone to coexistence? Because there are some ranchers, for instance, who really understand that coyotes are key to reducing rodents. And so they want coyotes because coyotes reduce... Um, like prairie dogs in some locations in Alberta, gophers, all the rodents that they don't want. They really appreciate the ecosystem services that coyotes provide. Um, so it's understanding what gears people more towards coexistence or more towards violence. Um, and then eventually working on a collaborative coexistence plan with different landowners. Mm -hmm. Is there a point at which we have to do some population control, given that there may be are too many? Is this something that you are open to? Uh, what's your stance? Yeah, um, it's a complicated question, but here, here's the thing that I think that pe most people don't understand they need to understand okay. is that wolves and coyotes um, are apex predators mm -hmm. in, in most ecosystems, especially coyotes in very modified ecosystems. So they're they're never going to be overpopulated in terms of an ecosystem because their numbers are directly 
related to what is below them, right? Like that's a way a trophic cascade works. So they can never be um, beyond what is inappropriate in an ecosystem. So if you say, do we need to control them, that becomes more of a human evaluation, right? So we don't, if we think, oh, I'm seeing way too many in our neighborhood, in my neighborhood, um, that might be a human perception of there are too many here. Um, and I think then we need to talk about does killing solve those problems? And I don't think it does is the problem because when you kill at random, you actually just really disturb the social structure of the pack. Um, and you can actually create a lot more human wildlife conflict by doing that. Cause like I said, they'll breed in a compensatory manner. So their numbers will come back up within a year or two at the max. Um, so what you've done is you've just created a really disturbed social structure that doesn't have as much discipline essentially. I think with canid populations, there would be some kind of pressure on the population over time. But I do like your point about indiscriminate killing and its effects on pack structure. Yeah, I mean, coyotes are cool because usually actually only the alpha male and female are the ones that are breeding. But if you disturb that pack structure, then almost all the females go into estrus where they weren't before. Um, So all of a sudden you've got younger moms who are potentially... Some studies have shown that they breed larger litters when they're under stress, um, so they become more desperate, and that's what causes them to go do things like potentially go after pets or be more likely to be in somebody's backyard um, or eating from your fruit tree. And so I think what we need to talk about instead is is why do you perceive this to be too high? Also, are there behaviors that we people have that are encouraging coyotes to be near us? Um So I think there's a little more introspection needed when we talk about the word overpopulated. Well, that's our episode. Thanks for listening. Remember, you can find Keeping Green at keepinggreenpodcast.wordpress.com and follow us on social media at keeping underscore green on Instagram. Until next time, remember, keep it green. Keep it green.